0: thanks uh Omer for the reading you know every now and then we come across a, a passage of scripture that uh really I get the 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 privilege i guess of something that's actually fairly easy to understand there's uh this passage of scripture isn't really that hard to understand. There's probably not a lot that I'm gonna say tonight from first Peter chapter three one through six that will uh just like blow your minds or anything but there are some things though that we can look at in this passage of scripture and and gain knowledge from Uh, I put this slide in here I stole from Rusty's PowerPoint last week but I took out all the, the animations just to refresh your memory on what he had been talking about and about how Peter had talked about that these people were a holy nation that they were pilgrims and sojourners here that there was some submission that they were going to have to do, and it was submission to government, it submission to masters, and that whether they have to suffer or not, that that was the right thing to do, is to submit to these things. And even to the point where he used the example of Jesus suffering on the cross. And he got, moves on from the submission to masters, as the church is concerned as a whole, from submission to masters and submission to a government to a specific group of people. And he moves on there to the wives specifically of uh, that are in the church. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> this word wives there is the same word that is used in other places as women. So it's an interchangeable Greek word. But specifically here it's qualified as wives because he talks about the fact that of the next part where he says be submissive to your own husbands, but he also says he says likewise. So we know that he's comparing something here about these wives and how they should be. And we refer to the the previous chapter where he was talking about the submission to uh, government, the submission to masters for the church, and especially how Christ submitted to God even if it meant his suffering upon the cross. He says there, in that, to likewise be submissive to your own husbands. And you answer the the obvious question is, is why? And it says, because they are the head in the marriage, that scripture tells us. You know, since Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, where when Eve sinned and he put God in front of woman at that point, and said that the woman's desired would be to her husband. So he established an order. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 3, he talked about there about how that God was the head of Christ, and Christ was the head of man, and man was the head of woman. So this is an established hierarchy, if you will, that he has put forth. And just as Jesus had submitted to God in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, which was his head, so should the women do that to her head which is her husband especially in light of the conduct in the context even if she suffers for well-doing she should still submit to the husband because that is the established way and we're not going to go into detail of the different kinds of sufferings that uh, he could have been talking about but specifically we're gonna talk about one in particular but he says moving on that he says that even if some do not obey the word so there are two classes of husbands that I think he's talking about here are the husbands is one is obviously those who are non-believers but there could be another class where there could be a believing husband that isn't necessarily following his duties and living up to God's standard as he would be as living or excuse me treating his wife as he should be but suffering can still happen in both of these cases for the wife who has a non-believing husband or one that is a believer and that doesn't treat her properly but even if the husbands are of this case it says it does not negate their responsibility to submit to the husband because that is the established order. He says that they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. You know, sometimes preaching the gospel goes well beyond words. Here, in this instance, he's talking about that the conduct of the wife could very possibly win over the husband who is a non-believer. They could end up converting this person to Jesus Christ. So sometimes that preaching of the gospel goes beyond words. Others can be won by observation of your conduct. And he continued on there in verse 2. It says, when they, speaking of those husbands, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And that word chaste there, if you look at it, it means the innocent or modest, clean, or excuse me, perfect. And some of the words that are used are chaste, clean, and pure. That got a little small, didn't it? sorry for about that you know it's sometimes its observation of these acts of what a non-believing husband could do to a believing Christian wife It's the observation of her actions the purity and the submission and the uh, obedience to God's will that leads people to Christ That could lead the husband to Christ Else, why would he say later on in this very chapter in verse 15, he says, to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. Even the non-believing husband should have a reason to ask for the hope that is within the wife by seeing her chaste conduct and her submission to her husband. They see your hope by your actions. Mm. He continued on in there in verse 3. Says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. You know, contrary to <clears throat> some popular belief, there are some out there that believe that this teaches that you cannot wear any gold, that you cannot wear any braided hair, long dresses, and, you know, all those things. But I don't believe that that is what Peter is teaching here he's not saying that you cannot arrange your hair or you can never wear any amount of gold or put on any fine apparel but there's a specific point that he's trying to make here and I think that here the new King James version is a better rendering even than the King James version even though they add the word merely that's not in the original Greek but the majority of the translations lean this way in what he's saying here is that it's not merely outward or only outward. There's something else besides that. And really, we're going to find out that the outward appearance doesn't really matter at all. But why is Peter telling these women this? What does this have to do with submission? In comparison, you know, Gentile women at the time, you remember that these Christians here were scattered. They were Jews that were scattered among these different nations, and there were scattered among a lot of Gentiles. And Gentile women were very different in the way that they dressed, and their uh, the way that they were with their husbands. They were very different than what Jewish women were. You know, especially the ones that were priestess, priestesses, if that's a how you say that, in some of the pagan worships. But Peter wanted them to know that just because that they were dispersed among these people didn't mean that they should conform to those standards of what the Gentile women were wearing. You see, they put great significance into their adornment for worship purposes, as if their outward appearance made any kind of difference as to their their holiness, if you will, to their gods. But there were some other things that they used these... uh, The dressing up for, and we'll talk about that later in the application part of this sermon. But not so for the Christian wife. The Christian wife is not supposed to be as how the Gentile women were with the outward appearance and the flashy appearance. The outward adorning isn't what matters as much as what is on the inside, and modesty seems here to be the better choice. He said in verse 4, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. You see, the difference is not outward, but it was inward. He said it was the hidden person of the heart. So it tells us that it's the, the spiritual woman, the one that is on the inside, is the one that he's talking about here that's most very precious in the sight of God. You know, if you look in Romans chapter 2 and verse 29, there it stated, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now we know that this talks about all Christians and about that we weren't Jews outwardly, but Jews inwardly because of circumcision and the heart. But I put this here to maybe clarify what he's talking about the hidden person of the heart. It is. The spiritual woman, the one that is inside, it's a, uh, a, what he talks about, a gentle and quiet spirit. It's one who is modest and that is uh, outwardly not professing worldliness, but inwardly professing godliness. You know, compared to the outward adorning, which is corruptible, the things that are inward are incorruptible. He says he specified it as the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty, the incorruptible beauty being the spirit of a gentle and, and quiet person, a gentle and quiet spirit. Just like in Romans when he talked about that it wasn't the outward man that was what was important, but it was the inward man, the one who was circumcision of the heart, not in the spirit, which was physical, but in the spiritual part of the law or excuse me, the spiritual of Christianity, which is through the Spirit. So the praise is not from men but from God. Here that's in the woman is very precious in the sight of God when it is from the inward person, the hidden person of the heart, the quiet and gentle spirit of the wife. He continued on there in verse 5 through 6. He says, For in this manner, in former times, The holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. You know, this isn't a new command or an idea that Peter's giving here. This is something that he says the godly women have been practicing for centuries if not for millennia, depending on uh, how many years that goes back. And he even says that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And I want to say that I don't believe here that Peter is advocating that all you wives are supposed to call your husband Lord. But it is the idea behind it of why she called him Lord. He's merely projecting the sense of respect, I think, or honoring of the husband for the position of responsibility that he is in. It's the, even though she says it calls him Lord, you look up the Greek word and it does tend to mean a a sense of respect or honor for the position that he is in. You know, and if, uh, besides that, didn't get my transition very well, but the last sentence of this, out of out of all the six verses that are pretty simple in this reading, the one last sentence in here that kind of stumped me a little bit, that I had to take some time to think about and study about, that he says that if you do good and are not afraid with any terror, well, if you look in the English Standard uh, English Study Bible, excuse me, I put that in here as well. They render it a little bit different, that I think it clarifies it a little bit. It says that Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Sir. So the Sir being a form of respect here is what he's teaching. Whose children you are, that being Sarah's, as you continue doing that which is good and are not fearful with any dismay. Peter says that if you continue to do good by following the example of these women, the women of old that he was talking about, especially Sarah that he mentions. If you continue to do good and follow that example how she was and how she submitted to her husband, and you aren't afraid I think of of being different than gentile wives that are around you, and I'm sure that just like today, which part of that we're going to talk about here in a little while, I'm sure that there was some gentile influence from those to Jewish wives that they may have seen that you know maybe prod them and say you know why are you so submissive to your husband and because their standards were a lot different they didn't submit to so much to their husbands as what Jewish women did they dressed different and there was probably a lot of outside influence so Peter might be saying here that don't be afraid to be different than those Gentile women but on top of that I believe what he's saying about not being dismayed is don't be dismayed that this is your lot in life as a wife, that this is your position, that the man is your head and you are to be submissive to him. You refer back to Genesis 3 and 16. It's something that they've known for centuries that they said that your desire shall be to the husband. This is the established order things and how it has been since the beginning he says then you can call yourselves daughters of Abraham because you're following in the tradition that was set forth so long ago so out of the six verses here's the the gist of it all what's Peter saying whether your husbands are believers or not whether they treat you as they should or not submit and be godly anyway if you are a Christian wife even if it means if you suffer for doing so furthermore he says dress as a woman that would profess godliness and we'll discuss that in a more in a minute but why is Peter telling them this Well, one is because it's right it's established in Scripture that's what the Scripture says it should be it's the will of God that it be like this and it has been ever since very close to the beginning Two, they are setting an example in the world as they live among these Gentiles that they're dispersed among. Not only are they examples to their non-believing husbands to try to get them to convert to Christ, but they're also examples in the world among the Gentiles so that people may have a reason to ask. Again, I mentioned verse 15 where he says about they would have a reason to ask the hope that is within you. So what are uh, a few of the applications that we can pull out of this uh, particular passage this evening? Well, really I can tell you that I can't think of any better applications than to reinforce with some other scriptures some of the things that Peter has already said. He's already given us the applications for you, for your uh, service and life as a Christian wife. The first thing is that we find that that submission is right. It is right according to scripture. You know, in Ephesians 5 and verse 22 through 24, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So Paul is even saying, submit to your husbands just as you do to Christ. You know, we consider, and the scriptures teach that the the church is the bride of Christ. It's that the bride is a wife. And we submit to Christ as our head because that's what he is. He's the head of the church, the savior of the body. So in the same way, he's saying that the wives should do the same thing to submit to their head which is the husband you know all we do as the church is to please Jesus out of respect and honor for his headship the same should be for the wife to the husband in honor and respect for the position that he has been called upon to be the head of the relationship in Titus chapter 2 verse 4 through 5 it says they this here Titus was earlier speaking of some uh, admonition that he was giving older women of the congregation. And he says that they, these being the older women, they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You know, not only does the scripture say for the wife to submit, but also that the the older wives also are supposed to teach it to the younger wives in the congregations. It's not just submission, obviously, because here he talked about teaching them to love their husbands, love their children, and to be discreet, to be chaste, homemakers, and all of these other things. But it is okay for the older women or the older wives to point out when they see things that maybe that the younger wives in the congregation may not be doing these things that follow along with what scriptural uh, guidelines should be that maybe that they're not necessarily being as obedient to their husband as they should or that they're not discreet or being chaste or whatever the older wives you have the absolute right and it is your responsibility to teach younger wives in the congregation to do that he says that that the word of God may not be blasphemed the word of God can be evil spoken of if you're not living by what it says you know when I I think about that it's from people on the outside looking I guess in and saying that you know we teach that wives should submit to their husbands but yet if they see wives that aren't submitting to their husbands that are not uh, being in line with Scripture as what it says here, I compare that to the, the same thing of, <clears throat> like, when, when I was in the military, the military has a code. Just like, you know, Christians, we have a code, which is the Scripture. But when I was in the military, we had a code. It was called the Military Uniform Code of Justice. And there were certain things that were outlined in that code that we were expected to abide by. And if you don't abide by those things, if you had people in the military service who were not abiding by those things, then people looking out from the outside in would look and say, well, you know, what's the use of this military code of justice if you don't even follow it? So, and they would speak ill of these things the same way that the word of God may be blasphemed or spoken ill of if, you are not following those things that it's put forth and there of how the Christian wife should be second submission is not weakness and I want to stress that point a lot wives you are important enough to be created for man in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 it says there and the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone I will make him a helper comparable to him you're important enough to be created for man because it was not good that he should be alone you fill a role that everything else every other animal and anything that God had created up to that point could not fill the role that you can fill man is not complete without you creation cannot go on without you and even though Eve sinned first and that—that's what put the husband as the head. It does not mean that the wife is a position of weakness. In First Corinthians chapter 12, I want to point out something as a comparison to the church. First Corinthians 12, 17 through 18, it says, "If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling?" But now God has set the members each one of them in the body just as he pleased you know when we compare positions in the church or responsibilities or abilities that we have in the church people have different talents like let's say song leader versus somebody who preaches from the pulpit or an elder versus somebody who leads a prayer in the church no one in the congregation is more important than the other regardless of the hierarchy. Because when all the roles are playing their part well in the church, the f- church is a force to be reckoned with. Likewise, I want the wives to understand that do not think that the biblical role that is established for you is any less important than the husband is. It takes both to make their one relationship. And when the two play their roles, as deemed out in Scripture, I believe that the relationship of the man and the woman is very powerful. So do not be dismayed or discouraged as Peter said in any way that this is your lot in life or that this is your position that is to submit to the head which is your husband. Your role is more powerful than you think. I'd like to compare what Peter said to about that the women or the wife who has an unbelieving husband there, that they may by your chaste conduct, you know, be won over. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it states there, For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Because of the position that you may have, you may not wield this sword in the public assembly. But that's okay. You know, if you remember First Peter three and what we were talked about, about that even if some do not obey the word, that they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Living the Word of God. You know, we always consider this as talking about the Word of God as as reading it or preaching it. But Living the word and living and fulfilling the role that God has set forth you can be just as powerful as speaking it by your actions, by your obedience to the word. And he says, remember that you're in the same company as Sarah, Abraham's wife. One of the most renowned women in the Bible, probably widely known even among non-Christians. She's widely known. You're in good company if you do this. And thirdly, modesty is submission. I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. It says here some of the same things of what Peter said. Paul said to Timothy, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. This word women here, it's the same word that he uses for wives in First Peter. Uh, <clears throat> though in Peter it was qualified by the submit to your husband comment, here in general Paul is talking about women, but if it applies to women in general, it's going to have to apply to the wives just the same. So it applies actually to all women, but specifically wives, in Peter. But Paul points out that women, and Peter specifically points out wives, that they should dress modestly. And again, Paul even is not here saying that you can never braid your hair, that you can never wear gold, or any pearls, or anything like that. Only, he says that it should be in moderation. And... Why does he say that? Well, if you think back, and we talked about comparing it to Gentile women, why did they wear them? Sometimes, you know, they did it for what they consider religious purposes. They did it with their pagan worship. And sometimes they even did it to attract men to do certain things for pagan worship. So it was this outward showing to attract people to do that. So it was all about bringing attention and noticeability to them. Bringing attention to yourself, though, what Paul and Peter here say, bringing attention to yourself with fancy array is not fitting for a woman professing godliness because it doesn't matter of the outward appearance. It's the inner woman that has a quiet and gentle spirit is what matters. In addition to that, I I can uh, say that I don't want to go too much off into uh, a sermon on modesty because really that's where this can go on the ins and outs of what it really means to be modest. And I have ideas for a sermon for that and not just for modesty for women but for men as well. But in addition to that here, I believe that wearing clothing that is very revealing or that is somewhat immodest brings attention to certain areas of the body for the purpose of people looking at you does not profess godliness either that is the intent I believe that Paul and Peter both are putting forth here is that it's the inward thing that matters not the drawing of people looking at you that is not submission to God's standards God wants women to look godly not gaudy is what he wants he wants women who look like they profess godliness. And especially if you are a wife, not only to submit to God, but to your husband, even in this area. And I would even say that Scripture uh, looks like it gives the authority that even if the husband thinks that you may be wearing something that is in excess of the moderation that is spoken of here in Scripture, or that maybe reveals too much. And he asks you to refrain from it and such that the scripture supports that you are to submit to him on this, just as you would submit to God in trying to fulfill or uh, go by those guidelines that God has set forth in his word. You know, in conclusion, we live in a society where really it's considered bad if you're a wife and if you submit to the authority of a husband. They believe it's like you're being treated as a slave or you're treated as a second-class citizen if you're submissive to your husband. They believe you should rebel in feminist movements and so on. There was an old saying I remember from many many years ago that I don't know if it was in a song or if it was a slogan but it was I am woman hear me roar. It was this big equal rights Uh, I think it was about the time of the Equal Rights Amendment but you know they have this idea that you should fight for your right to take charge of the home and be in charge and such and this is not the role of a godly wife don't fall for it that's not the type of wife that God wants you to be that is a worldly wife as Peter would compare it to that was probably what the Gentile women were like that's a Gentile wife not one who is following after God? He wants you to be virtuous. And I'll leave with you with the final verse, Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10 says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. You know, that idea of virtuous there means honorable. You know, Paul talked about, or excuse me, Paul, Paul and Peter both talk about a woman, how she should be chaste and pure and those kinds of things virtuous that's the type of wife that God wants you to be a worldly wife today is a dime a dozen but the finding the virtuous godly wife is rare so my encouragement to you this evening is be that wife that God wants you to be one that a follows after the scriptures one that is modest in apparel one that submits to her husband in all things as he should That's all the thoughts that I have this evening. If you feel like that you're in a category where you don't feel like necessarily that you may be following the pattern that God has put forth as a wife and that you would like to uh, have either prayers on your behalf or admit that fault, whatever you would like, or if you feel like that you've never obeyed the gospel and you feel like you've been taught enough sufficiently that you would like to take care of that this evening, If there's one here of either case, we can help you tonight if you would come forward, have a seat on the front, and make your wishes known while we stand and while we sing.